Uh, if you'll give me a second, I need to put my buns in the oven. Give me a you second. You got it. This is the podcast baking break where the baking happens. Why we didn't do baking during my delightful ad read, I don't know. But that's the sound of pots and pans. I forgot to preheat the oven, so I just did that. Content warning. This episode contains some mentions of implied sexual violence. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, non-binary friends, everybody, welcome to the Dan Brown Code. Hi, I'm Lena. Forrest. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Forrest. I'm Lena. Uh, my friend Laura said, I think it was episode two of, of Digital Fortress where we're talking over, no, it was the first one where we're talking over each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that that was the funniest thing she's heard on a podcast. That's encouraging. <laughs> so we're here. And we're going to talk about this book. And just before we start, I I just want to preface this by saying, like, this book is not good, like, in the slightest. And I don't know. Do you disagree? Like, no, I'm not this, excited by it at all. <laughs> the book is bad. And this section is, like, so wildly beyond that that I have trouble explaining it. It's, yeah. It's, I guess there's it, only one it, way it to sucks. explain it. Yeah. And it's by talking about every second of it. All right, do you want to get started? Let's do it. We're going chapters 61 through 80 of Digital Fortress by Dan Brown. Oh, yeah. So chapter 61, uh, the basic overview is that Midge learns that Strathmore has the capabilities to bypass the gauntlet filters for Transalter. Yeah. But first, we get a lot of awful flirting between Jabba and Midge. It's rough. It's really bad. Um, He's being a slob, despite the fact that he's not eating. He's got uh, some kind of... He's got a schematic blueprint on his belly. He's got a soldering iron in his hand and a pen light in his mouth. Um, He's attaching attenuators to a faulty motherboard, like you do when you're a chief (laughs) cis-sec. Did you look up if those were real? Because I didn't. Never. Okay, great. (laughs) Um... So Midge is insisting that something is up because she can feel it. And Jabba's like, oh, she's having one of her moods. Man, why do they call him Jabba when he's clearly (laughs) BB-8? Why? Because he's robotic and unfeeling? No, because he's soldering and shit, just like BB-8 does in that one (laughs) scene in the beginning of The Last Jedi where Poe Dameron is, like, approaching the Star Destroyer and BB-8's having to, like, weld all this shit together because Poe Dameron's lasers aren't working on his X-Wing fighter. Well, as you may know, uh, BB-8 is very cute and fat people are disgusting. But BB-8's also rotund. And cute. Forrest, did you not hear what I just said? <laughs> I'm just saying round can be cute when you're BB-8. No one is sympathetic in this book. <laughs> Midge isn't sympathetic. Jabba's not sympathetic. Everyone's either an asshole or a bootlicker or both. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Midge is stressed about uh, there's a blackout in the, the crypto, right? Uh-huh. And so she's like, something is going on and job is like, ah, it's fucking fine. Like I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. If Strathmore's not worried, you shouldn't be worried. And she's like very adamant. And he like speaks very disrespectfully to her. Um, and then her response goes icy. And again, she goes from flirt to fiend, which is very mm-hmm. frightening. What does she say? 
Um, Jabba, I have a f- job to do. I don't expect to be yelled at for doing it. When I call to ask why multi-billion dollar facility is in the dark, I expect a professional response. Were you about to insert a swear word into that, Lena? It sounded like you were. It sounded like you were about to say I have a fucking job to do, which is what she should have said. That <laughs> is what she should have said, but nobody curses in this book, I think? Uh, I th- <laughs> we're going to get to that a little later, but yes, someone <laughs> does. <laughs> Okay. 62, shall we? <laughs> yeah, so chapter 62, uh, what happens in this one, I have, I've, written, I've written little chapter um, synopses here in my notebook. Chapter 62, secure in the knowledge that Hale is trapped, Susan locks herself into node 3 to find his password. <laughs> I love this. I'm glad you've done this. Can you send it to me for when I write the blurb later because yeah. it helps me it helps jog my memory yeah I feel like a Victorian novelist where you write down like in which blah 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 in which uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Uh, Cottingsworth learns the uh, true nature of Miss Fennelsworth <laughs> friendship <laughs> isn't that how Winnie the Pooh episodes are also titled probably all right and, and friends so, so so they're freaking out and they've realized that they've well, allegedly located and neutralized North Dakota because Gregory Hale is locked in this trap door. Um, with a dead body. With a dead body of our hero, Phil Chartrukian. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Pour one out. Pour a bottle of this awful Capsov that I have out for <laughs> <laughs> Phil Chartrukian. Um, Strathmore says that they need to delete all traces of Digital Fortress, right? Is that what's going on? I'm, this was confusing. His plan is bad. So it's there's a lot of plot maneuvering here to get Dan Brown where he needs to go. And so at first he says we got to delete all of Hale's stuff because we, we can't we can't call building security in right now because they'll find that Transalter is running this endless thing and everyone will get suspicious about what we're doing in here and so we've got to Mm -hmm. get rid of digital fortress so he sends susan in to do that but he doesn't just want her to erase his hard drive because strathmore also out of a sense of intellectual curiosity wants to get hale's password the key to get into digital fortress so he can take a look around and see what kind of genius tankado has or not tank yeah tankado has created before erasing it just as to to you know let him take a look around and see what's going on with it and so susan Um, has to run like a a piece of software she's written that searches for passwords they they go for some time telling us about how that works it's awful um so it's dark in in node three she looks above at a star-filled sky and wonders if david could see the same stars from (laughs) seville forest what time is it? I've been wondering that. I, you know, it makes me miss the heady days of the first bit of Angels and Demons, where I was keeping my psychotic uh, timeline. <laughs> but I think it's been long enough that it might conceivably be dark in DC. So it's two a.m. in Seville. So that means mm-hmm. it's nine p.m. in Washington DC. Yeah, that can be dark. All right. He's probably seeing slightly different stars, though, because the curvature of the Earth and stuff. Etc. Um, so they go to the sliding doors that are kind of locked closed because the power is out, right? Mm-hmm. 
And they kind of maneuver themselves around and try to slide it open, and she digs her Ferragamo heels or whatever into the ground. And uh, Strathmore gets up behind her like he's teaching her how to shoot pool, right? Uh, (laughs) To help her open the door and, you know... He's probably up behind her with a pool stick showing her how to shoot a combo. <laughs> but she don't know. <laughs> or he don't know, excuse me. Um, uh, yeah. and long story they, short. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, they, they get the door open like just a crack enough for the lithe and slender body of uh, Susan, whatever her last name is. To Chartrupian. get into node three. Her last name is not Chartrupian. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, to get in. So, uh, never mind. Uh, she, she she slips into node three and the doors crash shut behind her. And so Strathmore's like, has his hand against the glass. It's like Kirk and Spock in, um, the Wrath, at the end of Wrath of Khan. Yes. And, and uh, it's like, uh, it's like, you know, uh, what's his face? Robert Langdon in that archive. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so Susan knows she's trapped in Node 3 until the power comes back on. But it's okay, because she's all alone in there, so nothing can hurt her. Angels and Demons is so lit compared to this book. Like, Man, it, uh, he truly did make some advances in his craft. It can't be denied. That book was exciting. I know I talked a lot of shit about it, but compared to this... <laughs> it's like... I was on the edge of my seat, <laughs> considering, yeah. like... Ugh. Okay, 63. <laughs> In chapter 63, Becker ineptly tries to find Megan at the airport. Uh, is this the episode where I th- threw my book? Uh, could well be. Could well be. <laughs> um, um, so, as we may remember, last time David no. Becker like bought a Vespa off of some random Italian punks at the punk club. And That's right. he's going to the airport to try to catch the plane that the girl who has the ring he needs is leaving Spain on. So Dan Brown, as we know, can't really talk about women without commenting on their appearance. And he gets better at it toward the end of uh, The Da Vinci Code. But he's still going hard here in Digital Fortress because there's a ticket clerk who mm-hmm. we learn is an attractive Andalusian woman. Um. And she smiles apologetically. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, you know, you could just say the ticket clerk. It doesn't, you don't have to. <sighs> so he's just missed the plane that she was supposed to fly out on. David Becker's such an idiot. Yeah. So he goes about trying to determine if Megan was on the plane, and he does so in the most clumsy, idiot way possible. <laughs> so what he does is he... Um, was like, I need to know if she made this flight. And she goes, lover's quarrel. And he goes, is it that obvious? And, like, tries to play it off. And then immediately says, maybe you saw her. She's a young girl, maybe 15 or 16. And the agent's like, oh, what (laughs) is wrong with you? You're a pedophile. Even in Spain, that's looked down upon, where we still live in the Iron Age. He's such an idiot. He's so like it's like watching an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I actually can't watch because it's so cringy. Same. Um, thank you. No one else seems to understand this. I can't watch people be so incompetent at basic human functions. It lost me a point at trivia last night, though. I'm sorry. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, Dan Brown is so gross, and uh, the idea of like attraction to teenagers or teenagers being attracted to his male student char- t- male teacher characters keeps coming up and i know 
It just makes me think that Dan Brown has looked at his his students in a way that's inappropriate. Like, like uh, hundred. Uh, there's there's not a doubt in my mind. Ugh. Okay, David Becker stands in the middle of the deserted airport concourse and wonders what to do next. The evening had been a comedy of errors. I've been laughing the whole time. He, I mean, I agree. Like, he really does suck at this, but it's not a comedy. No. It's like a... I don't know. Whatever it's called when you bang your head against a wall for a period of time. Yeah, it's been a Charlie Brown of errors. A blunt force lobotomy of errors. That too. <laughs> Chapter 64? Yeah. Uh, chapter 64. Oh, well, first Dan, or David oh, Becker elect decides that he needs to make a long overdue trip to the bathroom. Ew. Thank God. for <laughs> That's that's our hook into the next chapter. <laughs> what a thriller. Uh, in chapter 64, uh, we learn that Hale was in Node 3 all along and ambushes Susan. That's true. So she's in the... She's in the room. She's in the, yeah, node three. And she smells cologne and sweat. Mm. I write the word hot a few times in this chapter. (laughs) Then a lot of, a lot of, yeah, yes. And then a lot of big nose scribbled across uh, the page. Um, Uh, Greg Hale is there because that's what cologne and sweat smells like. And he had been strong enough to open the doors all by himself. That's where I wrote hot the second time. That's fair. Um, she was trying to escape. The crash behind her was instantaneous. He extended his legs like two battering rams. Battering rams noted for their ability to propel themselves and not for the uh, need for several hundred orcs to pull them back first. Orcs. Uh, well, I'm thinking specifically of Grand, the mighty uh, battering ram out of the black pits of Mordor that they used to knock down the gates of Minas Tirith in the Battle of Pelennor Fields. You know? Yeah. You didn't read Lord of the Rings, I know. <laughs> no. <laughs> the doors explode off their hinges because he's that strong. I know Greg Hale is awful. I know Why he is. Why was he hiding in the pantry is what I want to know. <laughs> was he in the pantry or in the kitchen? It's hard to tell. Like, why does the kitchen have a separate, uh, the whole, the whole layout of Node 3 is very opaque to me. Yeah, I'd like a map, but I don't want to talk to Dan Brown to get it, so we'll just leave it there. Um, I don't think Dan Brown knows what the room looks like. I think he just writes and hopes for the best. Yeah, the geography of the action is very confusing. So he moves toward her with powerful, he thunders toward her with powerful strides. Um, I wrote hot there. Um, mm-hmm. His right arm circles her waist from behind. His biceps flex against her ribcage. So far, this is a sex scene. Um, yeah. But then it starts to get awful. Um, she starts to, you know, she, it really hurts her. Um, she's trying to resist. She hits him in the nose. He kind of yanks her shirt apart um, and, like, grabs her left boob. Mm-hmm. Um, after, at this point, the hots turn to pretty big nose all over the page. Yeah, the whole section just... So, it takes what should be, to my mind, um, knowing the character motivations here. Although, more on that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, what should just be a scene of physical danger 
without like a sexualized tinge to it. He takes every single opportunity to sexualize the violence happening. Yeah. Um, and like, it, I, I think he might be going for some kind of thing where it's, you know, they're from what I have read on the internet, uh, of feminist writing, you know, any kind of potential violent encounter with a man for a woman has at least the implied hint of sexual violence. And Dan Brown really, uh, does that here and it sucks. Yeah. He really leans into it. And that's something that I don't know if you remember, I talked about a lot in angels and demons, mm-hmm. um, where when the Hassassin took, mm, is that Vittoria? Yes. Yes. Um, the whole like the, you can't be at risk as a woman without there being a sexual undercurrent. I, I think the the issue that I had was that that was even an element of the Hassa scene. It was unnecessary. For um, sure. Much like the having him grab her breasts and like her shit her shit fall apart and her skirt like come up around her hips. Um, all of that is so unnecessary considering, yeah, he's straddling her. Like all of that is so unnecessary considering what happens next. And I really hate when the the stakes are raised through the like wanton use of sh- sexual violence. I think it cheapens it, and also like is unnecessarily uh, exploitative. Um, let's move on. Chapter sixty five, <laughs> <laughs> in which Midge needs to get into Fontaine's office to prove that Strathmore bypassed Gauntlet, so she blackmails Brinkerhoff. I want to reiterate. That no one in this in this whole book is sympathetic. And they all got goofy names. I don't like any of these characters. And they all have stupid fucking names. Um, so. Um, Susan Fletcher. Fletcher is her last name. Oh, thank you. Um, you want to get started? This was stupid. I didn't like it. Um, I think I, I skimmed a whole lot of it, too. Yeah. So basically... The last time we were with Midge in chapter 61, she learned that Strathmore has the theoretical capability to bypass Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the only way to confirm whether or not he did is to print off this report that Midge can print off, but it prints into the printer in director Leland Fontaine's office, which is locked, and he's in South America on a business trip, mm-hmm. so they can't get into the office except Chad Brinkerhoff has the key because he's Leland Fontaine's personal assistant. And so Midge spends some time trying to convince him that it really is an urgent matter. She's very certain that Strathmore bypassed Gauntlet and let a virus into Transalter, and so she needs to get into Fontaine's office to confirm this. Well, she says, you know... She says, it's the only explanation. Jabba said a virus is the only thing that could keep Transalter running this long. So, and then Brinkerhoff flashes her the timeout sign. Like you do. You know how you do in conversation. And it's like, wait a minute. You're saying Strathmore intentionally let a virus into Transalter? Um, and then he, he knocks her for using her feminine intuition over Jabba's advanced degrees. You know how intuition is a garbage thing and we don't make any decisions with emotion. Well, um, compared to advanced degrees. Ah, uh, right. Sorry. There's so many ewes on this page. Um, <laughs> Nobody's ever called Jabba a fool. A pig, maybe, but never a fool. I'm, Lest I'm we forget done. that Jabba is a, a fat gentleman. <laughs> um, he just, he like says like her instincts have never been wrong. 
but they probably are this time. And then he goes, well, he couldn't be expected to hand out the director's keys whenever Midge got paranoid. And I'm like, but you just said. Yeah. She's never wrong. It's so awful. It's so awful. And then, and then, and then what she does is, should I, do you want, do you want to say it or I can say no, it? No, you're all over it. She can, uh, show, which, what Midge says, does is, I don't understand how the location that they're in works, but there are monitors on the ceiling, question mark, and she plays the videos, which she's apparently recorded, of Brinkerhoff and Carmen Herrera having sex in the kitchen. All over Huerta, sorry, Uh, all over the thing, and he can hear the moans and the sounds, and can see her small, honey-covered breasts. Um, Yeah, see, that's how I knew it wasn't a fantasy he was having; it was a memory he had. He was everywhere. He wasn't just dreaming about doing that; that actually happened. What the hell? He was everywhere, groaning with pleasure and eagerly fondling Carmen Huerta's small, honey-covered breasts. And this is where I wrote: nobody should read this book. (laughs) Um, and I could get sued for this, but I'm in law school and probably by the time Dan Brown even knows about this, I will have been, I will have taken the bar. So look, I've heard from many people that you don't read the books. You just listen to the podcast. And I just want to say, I cannot recommend that, that course of action more. Don't read this book. If you have picked it up, if you have bought Digital Fortress, if you had begun reading it, I recommend just putting it down now. Um, and just letting us do the dirty work for you because no one should read this book. It's really bad. No, what you should do instead uh, at this chapter break, I think it's time for this podcast's first official advertisement. Um, so we all have the exciting opportunity here to take a master class <laughs> from the man himself <laughs> on how to write thrillers. Um, <laughs> So yeah, Dan Brown is offering a masterclass through the online educational platform, Masterclass, where experts offer classes in their specialty, ranging from cooking with Gordon Ramsay to photography with Annie Leibovitz. Brown is teaching course on how to write thrillers. So uh, don't walk, run to your computer and get on and pay $90 to learn how to write a thriller from Dan Brown, where you, too, can learn to write things about smearing honey on Carmen Huerta's breasts. Um, I'm, I honestly, think I-, I might pay $90 to get into the mind of the man. Imagine having $90, wild. Um, Lena, I do not pay rent. <laughs> David. No, you're not David. I'm sorry. How dare you? <laughs> Forrest, I'm living on loans. <laughs> I know, but I'm not. <laughs> I um, might be in a year, but right now I got money to burn. <laughs> hey, so let me know how that goes if you end up in the mind of the master. Um, I will. I don't want to be there because apparently honey-covered breasts are in there. <laughs> Chapter 66, in which Becker startles a well-dressed junkie in the women's room. Quote junkie, unquote. Well, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, um... Um, I'm just going to read you a paragraph. Mm-hmm. The restroom was typical Spanish institutional, perfectly square, white tile, one incandescent bulb overhead. As usual, there was one stall and one urinal. Whether the urinals were ever used in the women's bathrooms was immaterial. Added them saved, adding them saved the contractors the expense of having to build the extra stall. I wrote, what, what, where, Spain? <laughs> yeah... Do you know anything about this? I've been to Spain. I haven't seen this before. I have not been to Spain. Um, I know where the rain falls there, but I do not know what the bathroom situation is. Okay. Well, I haven't seen this, but I've also never been to Seville. So 
No, and it's important to note that David Becker's gone on in, into the Damas room because the Caballeros bathroom is blocked by an orange pylon. So he can't go in there. Can that be right? Caballeros? Does that mean gentlemen? I think so. Okay. Um, I didn't bother to look it up. Um, he, uh, what's he doing? It's a pretty gross bathroom. Yeah. Um, because it's in Spain where everything is disgusting. There's greenish uh, fingerprints the sink, on the hand blower. Yeah, the sink is clogged with murky brown water, dirty paper towels everywhere, the floor is soaked, and the old electric hand blower on the wall was smeared with greenish fingerprints. No Dyson air blades here. <laughs> um, Good. Apparently those things are really unsanitary. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. Uh, they also suck. I hate them. You don't like the Airblade? You don't like no, watching your, your your hand skin do the thing? Uh, not really. Okay. I don't love it. <laughs> and so we learn that David Becker, who, as you may recall, is fresh from a Vespa ride and also an evening spent at, like, the punkest punk club to ever, like, have punk music played at it, this whole time has been wearing a fully Windsor-knotted... Um, tie the whole evening no wonder they all thought he was a goddamn nerd at the club they all thought i was a cop which he is um yeah <laughs> cops do not tie a full windsor uh, I yeah i used to believe it tops cops tie a four in hand and honestly they're right to do so <laughs> i mean a half windsor is basic a windsor is still pretty basic um no, i mean but like it's, it looks just big and clunky and shitty i hate it it's a very 80s knot for your tie yeah it's something I learned how to tie a Windsor because um, when I did JMU in high school, all the <laughs> boys were complete garbage, and I had to tie all their ties for them. Yeah, yeah, man, good. Uh, did you were you involved at all in the JMUN stuff or like MUN stuff in high school? Yeah, I was. I was the president of MUN at Scripps. Oh. Yeah. Do you remember when listener Chris's Poopin was the president of MUN, or at least was the secretary general for JMUN? I do remember. Was that, that your was, senior year? That was my senior year, and yeah. that year kicked ass, because I was never involved in MUN, but I somehow conned my way into being, like, personal assistant to the Secretary's General at the JMUN conference. Oh, I remember and you so, were there! So yeah, got, so like, that was my first ever MUN conference and, like, there was at all this JMUN drama conference, that year yeah. Because one of the... Uh, under secretaries or whatever who was running security council just like went totally rogue <laughs> so like the whole time i was like running between uh my friend chris and the uh girl from a different school who was the other secretary general upon whom i had a giant crush and uh it was good times that was really fun i think you came into third committee a couple times to like deliver a like a spy report or something that and that true. was that was pretty fun I, that I was my first ever updates on the security crises oh hell yeah um i won it was my first ever mun and i won and it was great nice um and then yeah i no, went wait, on to wait, you wouldn't have been involved in that conference as a delegate right i was a delegate yeah because the, oh, the ninth were graders freshman? were you a freshman when i was a senior yes yes Christ. listeners oh, you no. would know this <laughs> forest i thought we were i thought we were only Two, I, I don't know. I thought we were one fewer you were apart. No, no, because I was in I was in French five six at the same time as you. Oh, so advanced. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trilingual. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was my first MUN and it was great. And then I went on to be uh some kind of chair and then president. And then uh we had the first ever all female secretariat. Oh um, cool. My my senior year, yeah. Something's burning. Hold on, sorry. 
Billy Bones. One sec. I think I smell something burning. I'd know that scruffy mug anywhere. It seems that nothing is actually burning. Okay, or maybe you have a neighbor cooking and they're bad at it. Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's very possible. Okay, sorry. Um. Yeah, so anyways, in this bathroom, uh, a woman pops up behind David Becker as he's... Oh, I guess he was using the urinal? I thought he was just at the sink, tie, adjusting his tie. But then it says that a woman comes up behind him and he hurries to zip up, so whatever. And behind him is a young sophisticate, right off the pages of Seventeen magazine, wearing conservative plaid pants and a white sleeveless blouse. And she's got her hair is perfect, just like the werewolf of London. And uh, <laughs> Becker is like, "Oh God, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I wasn't in the women's room. I was, you know, the men's room was." Uh, and she says, "Fucking weirdo." <laughs> and this is where someone swears in this book. She says, "Fucking weirdo." And Becker, <laughs> who, as we may recall, was already a profanity um, scold in the, at the punk club, but now he's like, "The profanity seems inappropriate coming from her lips, like sewage flowing from a polished decanter." What the fuck? I didn't even read that. What, <laughs> what's happening in this book for us? Yeah. And that's when he notices that this young sophisticate, uh, her eyes are puffy and bloodshot. Her left forearm is swollen and uh, the flesh is blue beneath the reddish irritation on her skin. And he's like, oh, my God, intravenous drugs. Who would have guessed? I'm very prim and proper. None of my students would ever do drugs, especially of the dirty intravenous variety. So she says, get out, and he does. He forgot mm-hmm. all about the ring. He, his heart went out to her. He felt so bad. God. She was all alone for he some prep school help. study program. He just wants to help. And she said, leave. And he goes, be careful. And I wrote, stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> and then, this is like Curb Your Enthusiasm. We have fun here at the Dan Brown Code. Chapter 67, in which Hale tells Susan that Strathmore is the real baddie and she fights him off. Yeah, so he says Susan, and he's still straddling her. Um, His tailbone ground painfully into her pubis through the thin fabric of her skirt. Uh, Lest we we forget about Dan Brown's needlessly sexualized writing. That's right. His hands were at her chest, and she goes, is he touching me? But it turns out that he's just buttoning up her top and covering her up. What a paternalistic nice guy. What, you know, crisis averted. We thought it was going to be an awful scene of sexual violence. It just turns out that it was implied sexual violence to terrorize you until you realize that he's harmless. Yeah, so this is the part that makes no sense to me. Okay, let's get after it. So, yeah, so Hale tells her that Strathmore's the bad guy. He killed Phil Chartrukian and we're in danger. But Mm -hmm. he also has seen that Strathmore can't get into this office easily, and therefore he also knows that Susan can't get out easily. So why did he feel the need to tackle her and pin her down before, you know, trying to gain her trust? That's a good fucking question. When you're trying to gain someone's trust, like putting them into physical danger and assaulting them doesn't seem like a great way to do it. I mean, you're right. I don't know what you want me to say. It's stupid. Like... It seems like bad writing. Stupid, 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 as I said. Because you're introducing danger to the one chapter, and then the next chapter you're like, well, it's a thriller, so they forgot what happened last time. I wouldn't worry about it. 
Um, I'm assuming the content of Dan Brown's class, but I'm wagering money on that one. So, <laughs> he tries to tell her that Strathmore killed Chartruckian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, and she's like, she recognized the divide and conquer mentality of an ex-Marine. Invent lies, pit your enemies against each other. And he's like, we have to, we have to call for help. And then she, uh... You know the well-known cunning of Marines? The, uh, notorious intelligence unit? Stop it. Forrest. Well, no, I'm not saying Marines are stupid. He's a smart Marine. This one is a programmer. I'm saying Marine training isn't about espionage, to my knowledge. It's like they're shock troops. Yeah, I mean, yes. Dan Brown doesn't know anything. No, Um, he's not. So, so... She needs him in the balls, or sorry, she felt her <laughs> kneecap crush the soft sack SAC of tissue between his legs. That's put, where I keep my Kleenex. Also, put down the thesaurus. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and so he he falls over because he you know didn't anticipate this, and so Susan grabs a table that is on casters and then rolls it through the glass wall and breaks it and so now all the soundproofing and crypto is no good and also she ruined her shoe she rammed her mangled ferragamo back on her her foot shot a last glance at the still writhing greg hale and dashed across the sea of broken glass out onto the crypto floor I love that Dan Brown thought that people would read this book before they read uh, Angels and Demons, so he thought he couldn't reuse the table oh, running shit, through a glass door thing. But it failed, right? So he had to do the domino the domino trick. But he did try the yeah. table on casters. Chapter 68. Midge confirms that Strathmore bypassed Gauntlet. This is three chapters of Midge now, and in the first one she learns he can bypass Gauntlet. The second one she's like, here's how I will learn if he did. And then this one, she finally learns he did bypass gauntlet, but then also, uh Oh, they get caught by Fontaine. Uh, so Fontaine gives her the key to, Oh, sorry. Sorry. Brinkerhoff gives Midge the key to Fontaine's office. Um, Leland Fontaine is a great name. just wanted to say that. Real it quick. is good. Uh, I have, I had an issue here. Um, Leland Fontaine's private office is streamlined for efficiency, mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, allegedly. But the three file cabinets stood in the corner next to a small table with a French press coffee pot. And we all know that French press is a very inefficient way to make coffee. So what is the truth? <laughs> um, I mean, my <laughs> guess is he makes Brinkerhoff make his French press coffee for him. So it's efficient for him? Because mm-hmm. who cares okay, if it's efficient for to... Brinkerhoff? Yeah, are you bread stuff? Oh. I'm gonna put yeah. I'm gonna put my my loaves yep. in the thing. Anyways, uh, Midge kind of like so she sees that Strathmore bypassed Gauntlet to run this thing on Transalter, and then after she has the file in her hand, she starts kind of making fun of Brinkerhoff and like I'm gonna stay in the office a little bit longer. And Brinkerhoff, like, we gotta get out. Oh, it's my boss's office. I'm gonna get in trouble. <laughs> and uh, then they get in trouble because Leland Fontaine walks in and he's like. I'm back from South America. Why are you fuckers in my office? I mean, what the fuck? What kind of, like, he's right behind me, isn't he, kind of bullshit is this? Yeah, speaking of Scooby-Doo. 
Uh, last weekend, I went home and I just watched. I put on Scooby Doo and did my research. Uh, the cartoons, set. yeah, the cartoons, okay. yeah. Did you know that there are five? Well, de- yeah, five live action Scooby Doo movies. I'm I've sure watched all of them. I've gleaned that from your Twitter somehow. There's two theatrical releases, two Cartoon Network movies, and one Daphne and Velma origin story that features <gasps> none of the other Scooby Doo characters and is produced. Guess who produced it? Guess whose <laughs> production company produced it? She does not appear in the movie. Oh, she. Oh, hmm. Hmm. Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, think lesser star, but also blonde. Kristen Bell. Even lesser. Lesser than Kristen Bell? And younger. Chloe Grace Moretz. Older. <laughs> Can you <laughs> Britney Spears? I think younger. It's Ashley Tisdale. What? <laughs> yeah. It's, that's honestly the best one of the movies. I'm not going to lie to you. That's bananas. It's very strange. She has a production company? <laughs> she does. And they produce the Daphne and Velma origin story. Where is she? Ashley Tisdale. Where has she uh, been? I mean, one assumes Los Angeles, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> she has a couple okay. good pop songs. Sick of all the he sad, see sad. Um, <laughs> it's one of them. I know. <laughs> um, anyways, chapter 69. Hey-o! Nice. Um, hey, hey, hey. Okay. In which Becker realizes the preppy junkie is Megan. Well, because she calls to him and says, hey, mister. <laughs> And he's yeah. like, I'm not funding your drug habit, you idiot. You know how you know how people in real life say, Hey mister, like they're in the little rascals. <laughs> hey mister <laughs> I'm trying to get back home. Can you help? You have a you have a, you have a future in voiceover work. Thank you. <laughs> um 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 so he's like she's like, I lost my ticket Wastrel and I need money. Two. Oh, sorry. Stop it. <laughs> And she's like, can you spot me some cash to get home? And he's like, look, I won't give you cash, but I will charge the ticket for you. And assuming that she'll call his or he's calling this her bluff. This is the most suburban dad shit in history <laughs> of like, no, it really no, is. You can't give the panhandlers cash because they can spend it on anything. You have to give them like a sandwich from Subway and then you know they're using it responsibly. <laughs> Um, so she, he says, I'll charge the ticket for you. And she's like, you do that. Thank you. And she, um, is so happy. She hugs him and she's excited to leave. And then he He notices, well, but before that he starts like, he's like, why are your eyes all red if you're not on drugs? And she's like, I've been crying because I missed my flight. And it's like, and then it's like, why do you, why is there a blue shit on your arms? It looks like intravenous drug use. And then he looks closer and it turns out she's been scrubbing off magic marker ink and just barely underneath it he can see that it used to say fuck off and die which as you may recall Lena realized was foreshadowing when the German guy said it to David Becker in the hotel room that was a tattoo on her arm that was actually magic marker because she's afraid of needles oh my goodness she's I the girl he's been knew looking this was for stupid. I knew this was stupid <laughs> I knew the second that German was like fuck off und die yeah, I was like I think fuck I told this is gonna suck so bad you I did you monster wrong. you I didn't tried to I was throw me off I, wa- I honestly didn't remember at the time <laughs> Cause it's too stupid to remember. It's so dumb. Um, it's, it sucks. I hate this book. And um, so he remembers, and he goes, 
you wouldn't happen to wear earrings, would you? Because she has unpierced ears. And then she pulls mm-hmm. out um, a skull pendant dangling in her hand. A clip-on, he says. Hell yes. I'm scared shitless of needles. You know how when you meet a stranger and you're trying to get them to do something for you and you're a rich girl, you like curse at them a whole bunch? Yeah. Anyway. Well, he, I mean, he already knew that she said the F word and it was like sewage pouring from a nice decanter. <laughs> Chapter 70, which is, like, why is there a chapter break here? Not, there's no time passage. It's just uh, still David Becker talking with Megan. Um, but now he fucks up because he's the biggest idiot in the world. So he's, like, he doesn't say, like, oh, my God, I've been looking for you all night because I'm on a mission from the government and I need this thing you have. He just says, I think you've got something I'm looking for and pulls out a wad of cash. And <laughs> she's, like... Oh, I wrote creepy and, fucker. He's such yeah, an idiot. Why would you say it like that? I don't God know. Damn it. Well, because then you get another chapter of a thriller out of it. Uh, and, and so Becker's like, oh my gosh, you got the ring. I'm going to get the ring. I'm going to get the ring for this money. And she's like, oh my God, this man is uh, trying to proposition me and maces him. She's like, I think I know exactly what you need. And maces him. And I scribbled all over this chapter. <laughs> and then I just wrote, I hate this in the corner. I hate it so bad. They also... The girl finally found what she was looking for. Her pepper guard. The environmentally safe alternative to mace. Made from a potent blend of cayenne and chili peppers. What the fuck? (laughs) Dan Brown. I don't know. It's important to get some marketing into your novel. Pepper guard. Um, Speaking of marketing... I'm I'm here to sell you a copy of the early work of Dan Brown, writing as Danielle Brown in 187 Men to Avoid. All right, are there brand, let's go are there for brand it. names in this? There are. Oh, are there? Man to Avoid number 74. I think okay. it's 74. I honestly, the numbering's probably off at this point. <laughs> Men who own chia pets. What's wrong with that? He's taking care of something. It's a mystery to me. I mean, I guess they're a little bit tacky, but they're fine. Whatever. Yeah, but... Number 75 gets extremely meta. Men who write <laughs> self-help books for women. Oh. What, what, what is this Whoa. book if not a self-help book Whoa. for women? Whoa. Whoa. Stop. Freeze. <laughs> Put it down. Wait. Whoa. <laughs> Dan. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get high before this, but I should have. Oh. Because he's... Pl- oh, my God. He's writing as a woman. Oh, mm-hmm. he's... Oh, he's... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. Oh, oh okay. Move on to the next one. It's too much. Number 76, men who pump up their sneakers. Do you know what this is referring to? Okay, I kind of do. So there are, you know the song Pumped Up Kicks? I do. It's about, it's about the same thing. I mean, I know what thing. it's referring to. I, was just, I wasn't sure if it was like such a specific moment in time, but there is pump up sneakers. Yeah, yeah, I happen to know about them because of the song Pumped Up Kicks. Anyways, man number 77. All right. Men who tell knock-knock jokes. What's wrong with that? I mean, it's kind of cheesy. Yeah, but like everyone has like a good. Not offensively so. That's fine. Uh, Number 78, personal attack. Men who pretend they know what they're doing when they smell the cork. Dan Brown, what you are doing is checking to make sure of two things. One, that the cork is wet so you know the bottle has been stored properly on its side. And Mm -hmm. two, making sure the wine does not smell like vinegar and has not spoiled in the bottle. You're doing two things when you smell the cork. It's not complicated. Just because Dan Brown doesn't know what he's doing when he smells the cork. 
Yeah, it's you ridiculous. Know, I went to a really wonderful wine education event for the Women of Color Collective here at law school, and I learned all about wine so I can schmooze with old rich guys. I'm very, yeah. I'm very excited about it. I have Excellent. to learn how to play golf now. Uh, there's a wine store not far from you called, um, what is it called? I think it's called John and Pete's. But that might be the mm. other wine store near my other department. Anyways, it's really good, and the guy who owns it are great, and they do nice, good, good tastings. Uh, good to know. One of the girls who I think still works at the wine bar there is like so incredibly mean, and I love her deeply. Uh, <laughs> number 79 men who have phone sex just because okay. you don't dan brown i'm not a fan of sexting and remote sex at all like it's not for me um i don't know if he means like have phone sex with women that they're involved with or like pay for phone sex on a 900 line i don't i don't know what he's talking about uh he does not clarify yeah yeah i figured he wouldn't i don't know what's what's your thought on this i think it's fine that dan brown should stop judging people okay I mean, yeah word yeah <laughs> that could be for literally every thing in this book <laughs> but you know Judge, uh, i mean dan brown does a lot of judging for someone who looks like a like a plastic elf you you're know? not wrong his uh, esthetician needs to be put in, in jail. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Is that all? Is that the end of yeah, it? Yeah, that's, that's six. All right. Shall um, we move chapter on? Chapter 71. All right. Numataka learns that North Dakota is calling from a cell phone near Washington, D.C. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole chapter. Chapter 72. <laughs> Susan goes to Strathmore's office where he tells her he has not been 100% honest so far. Is this the long chapter? It's one of them. It's one of the two long ones. So. But nothing know. happens in it. Nothing happens in it. She goes to abort Transalter and, and Strathmore stops her. And she says, it says, uh, Susan recoiled, stunned, excuse me, sorry. She stared at the commander and for the second time that day did not recognize him. What was the first time? I forget. Okay. (laughs) I think he mentioned it, though. It's hard to conceive of this book as one day because it feels endless. (laughs) It really does. Um... So, so she's Strathmore's saying... starting to fray at the edges. He sees Susan, like, has blood on her shirt, and he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry I yelled at you. What's wrong, baby? Um, Gross. <laughs> I mean... Um, so she says, like, uh, why do we talk about the elevator? There's a lot about the elevator in this Yeah, one. so, I mean, Susan wants to get out of Node 3, and she sees that behind Strathmore, there's, like, little... Um, keypad for him to get to his elevator and he's like fuck you weren't supposed to see it um but she's like oh my god your elevator's working we can even though there's a power outage we can just use your keypad to get on the elevator out of here let's abort transalter and then just go Mm -hmm. and strathmore's like oh no we can't do that because um 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 fuck i guess i gotta like uh Okay, there's a password on the elevator, and I'll tell you if you really want me to, but 
let me try to entice you to stay here. In the meantime, I have a plan for Digital Fortress. I haven't been totally honest with you, but we got to stay here. Also, if you're worried about Greg Hale, I have a gun here in my desk, so it's fine. Jesus Christ. Right? I think that's it. That's it. That's it. It's so such. It's so long, though, the whole chapter. It takes forever. Because, I mean, like, there's all this back and forth of, like, why can't I abort Transalter? And he's like, well, because you can't. And why do we have to stay in here and not take the elevator and go? And he's like, well, because you can't. And then, like, his... It, like his last gambit to try to get her to stay is to like let her in on more of his plan and say I'll give you the password to the elevator you can decide whether to leave or not but first I have not been entirely honest with you and that's the cliffhanger yep and then we go to chapter 73 Becker is uh, for most chapters just writhing in pain on the floor but yeah just to entice Megan to come back that's it um he like follows her through a revolving door and then she says Megan and then and then he uh goes unconscious and then she goes Mr and then Mr 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 I never told you my name how come you know my name how come <laughs> how I come mean, is such like a like a a, a leave it to be for thing to say no one says how come how come um He's been given so many chances to not be a fuck. And he just and, can't do it. And he continues to, like, this man is a professor. Like, how does he... He's so incompetent. How, how does, does he, he survive one day of his life? How does he get to work in the morning? <laughs> does he do anything? <laughs> how did he manage to get himself into a relationship? Yeah. When he doesn't know how to, like, sound like he's soliciting sex from a child. Oh, God. Yeah. Chapter 74... Um, Fontaine has been spying on Strathmore and is convinced he has a master plan. So Director Leland Fontaine is a mo- mountain of a man, 63 years old, with a close-cropped military haircut and a rigid demeanor. Well, he was hello. A f- <laughs> he was uh, the first African-American director of the National Security-, Security Agency, but nobody ever mentioned that distinction. F- Fontaine's politics were decidedly colorblind, and his staff wisely followed suit. I think this I'm is where I threw my book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. Dan Brown likes to talk about coffee by calling it Java, which is the most dad thing I've ever heard. Not even my dad. Like, Don't talk to me before I've had my Java. <laughs> Gross. Um, um, so... To be a little bit fair to Dan Brown and his writing about Leland wow, Fontaine's Forrest. colorblind politics. Wow, one second, one second, one second. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's like <laughs> the most 90s way of talking about race and politics there's ever been. It's this no. very Francis Fukuyama end of history. We've already, like, society's good now. There's like a couple kinks to work out, but, like, everything's fine. Yeah, it's very, like, Cosby Show, like, uh, Fresh Prince, look, black people are rich now kind of deal. Um, See, gang, I make references to learned literature like Francis Fukuyama's *The End of History*, where Lena references childish sitcoms. I'm I'm salt of the earth, Forrest. I'm <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a woman of the people. One of us is at law school, <laughs> and one of us is not. Um, one of us is about to go to school for library science. I'm trying to, trying to. Don't jinx it. Knock on wood. There you go. Um, uh. So Midge is trying to explain 
basically. Um, she's like, I called Jabba. And then Fontaine's like, why didn't you call Strathmore? And she's like, we did. He said everything was fine. And she, he was like, oh, so everything's fine? Um, and she says, my instincts tell me. And honestly, I understand that what she's, she's not actually relying on instinct. She's relying from, on experience. But because Dan Brown doesn't know women, he's, he's calling it instinct. Um, cause what she's doing is saying, look, I'm a professional and something feels off about this. And my job is to notice when things feel off. And right now things feel off and I'm going to investigate. But instead Dan Brown writes it as my instincts. <laughs> this is actually a lot like, uh, the papyrology blog I was reading before this. Um, you know, she spent some time talking about how, um, even though you can read as many articles as you want to about how to accurately date papyrus fragments, like mostly your expert eye is honed just through like looking at a bunch of them. And so even though you can't publish that, like I've seen a lot of papyrus and this papyrus is like a mid first century one from Egypt. Uh, You can't actually publish that even though you know it's true. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing here of like, she knows something's wrong. She can't like, write it in a report and say, I know something's wrong because like, I've seen a lot of things before both wrong and right. And this is one of the wrong ones. Mm -hmm. And so it, she just has to chalk it up to feminine intuition. So she says, my instincts tell me. And and he says, well, your instincts are wrong. Miss Milken for once they're wrong. And it's just so funny that they all know that she's always right. And this (laughs) time she must be wrong. And honestly, how do men run anything? And, um, so she gets upset. And she she goes, like, he goes, everybody leave. And then Midge had, like, a look in her eyes about how she's going to, like, continue down this road. And uh, Brinkerhoff confusingly says, time to get out the resumes. Um, or he thinks it, rather. And then yeah. Fontaine I mean, he says... Did, he did get caught trespassing in a very high security clearance area that he was not supposed to be in. Yeah. To be fair. It was, oh, it was his resumes? I assumed so. I thought he meant resumes of people who are in line to replace Midge. Oh, I thought he was I thought he was going to polish his resume to get a new job. Whatever. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> and then Fontaine tells him to not let Midge out of the suite. Mm-hmm. And we get some exposition. Yeah. So we learn why Fontaine is so sure that nothing's wrong and Strathmore has a plan. So uh, he learned three months ago that Strathmore's wife was going to leave him and he knew that Strathmore was working like crazy hours and seemed like he was going kind of nuts and about to crack under the pressure. Um, And Fontaine doesn't love Strathmore, but has some confidence. He's really smart, but he's trying to keep tabs on him. Mm -hmm. And so he installed some like surveillance shit on his computer so he can read all of his emails, his correspondence and his brainstorms, which as lest we forget are his weird, uh, sci-fi computer simulations that like run everything for you. Right. And so Fontaine realizes that Strathmore is laying down this plan. That's going to revolutionize the intelligence gathering capabilities of the NSA and so Fontaine is going to let him go ahead of this with the, with this. And we're going to learn more about what this plan is from the horse's mouth itself mm-hmm. in chapter 75, where Strathmore reveals his plan. Spoiler alert, it's Skipjack. <laughs> so 
Um, Strathmore. <sighs> Strathmore fingered the Beretta in his lap. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Even with the rage boiling in his blood, he was programmed to think clearly, although it's plainly not how people work. Um, so he said, Susan, did you delete Hale's email? She goes, no. He goes, do you have... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. The fact that Greg Hale had dared to lay a finger on Susan Fletcher sickened him, but the fact that it was his own fault made him even sicker. It's just important. It's going to be important for us yeah. to know his fixation on Susan Fletcher. <laughs> um, so she doesn't have any of the things that he asked for. He could easily enter the elevator password and Susan would be gone, but he needs Susan there to get Hale's passkey. Um, he begins his monologue. We are in a monologue chapter. I'm sure you all know about <laughs> monologue chapters because we've been through a lot of them together here at the Dan Brown Code. We've been through the one in which uh, uh, b- b- Robert Langdon and Sir Ian McKellen uh, tell us about... Sir Lee Teabing. Yes, that's the one. We've been through, we've just been through a lot of monologues, but <clears throat> this is a, a little... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Prototype of a monologue chapter. So here we go. Um, so he says, Sometimes a man in my position is forced to lie to the people he loves loves that's the point at which you should leave somebody (laughs) baby i didn't want to lie to you but sometimes (laughs) the last thing i ever want is to hurt you man to avoid hey hey (laughs) hey so he starts to go on his little like scary bootlicking monologue about how like the people have become paranoid the eff he he, he is the boot the yeah yeah he's licking his own boots and his own wounds The lawyers, the civil rights fanatics, the EFF, they've all played a part, but it's more than that. It's the people. They've lost faith. They see us as the enemy because we keep snooping. They've become paranoid. They've become paranoid. At this point, I wrote, oh no, it's another monologue chapter. Um, Well, then he just, like, states truth. Uh, People like you and me, we had to find ourselves uh, fighting for a right to serve our country. We're no longer peacekeepers. We're eavesdroppers, peeping toms violators of people's rights which is true that's exactly what they are um and so he's it's up to he truly (laughs) believes it's up to us to save them from their own ignorance at this point he pauses and it says susan waited for his point at which point i wrote same um i mean she's not immediately (laughs) like uh what you are saying is clearly fucking wrong (laughs) like (laughs) Um, that's that's how we know Susan's evil is at this point. She's like, I mean, yes, obviously everything you've been saying is true, but like, I don't understand where we're going from this. <laughs> um, so, uh, can we just can we wrap this up? Actually, I don't want to go through this whole fucking. Thing. Do you have yeah, something so, to I mean, say? So, yeah. So his plan is to do skipjack again. His plan is to unlock Digital Fortress, put in a back door to it, and then put it back out on the market and let someone else buy up the rights to publish it and they won't know and no one will know that the nsa has a way into digital fortress and then they're going to let it leak that they have transalter and then everyone's going to use digital fortress and the nsa can just type in their password and read everyone's emails again and bob's your uncle great. and susan's like great what a good idea let's do it can you remind me of tankado's original plan because i can't i can't for the life of me remember what's going so why is tankado selling this thing for for money or for to 
to to say fuck you to someone like why uh both for money and then to keep the nsa from getting into everyone's shit got it okay thank you so she says what's our next move she's on board she's ready to fucking yep, lick some boots um and so she so he says we'll go downstairs you'll search hale's terminal i'll cover you and then she goes can't we wait for david to call with tankado's copy and then strathmore's like we don't even know if david's gonna find the other copy um but we have to find hale's key and so she was like and then he's like i'll shoot greg hale and she's like would you really and he's like no no but let's hope he doesn't know that i wouldn't shoot him i have to go take my loaves out of the oven one second okay the bread is beautiful excellent i'm glad to hear it i can't believe someone else gets to marry me honestly (laughs) what a lucky bastard (laughs) incredible um all right where are we Chapter 76. In Chapter 76, the Google Glass assassin watches uh, David Becker buy the ring from Megan, and then Megan gives him a hug, which why? And that's it. That's um, it. 77. <laughs> chapter 77. Uh, Susan and Strathmore go to Node 3. Strathmore gets a page from Spain. We learn that an NSA surveillance van is in Seville. Strathmore walks out. Um, he sees a very scary set of stairs that he's going down. Excuse spooky. me, I'm very sorry. Spooky, <laughs> spooky stairs. <laughs> Falling down this particular set of stairs could cripple someone for life. And Strathmore's oh, no. d- dreams for his retirement did not involve a, a wheelchair. Um, is that foreshadowing? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. He's just throwing out any kind of danger to, like, <laughs> hide the stakes. Yeah. He's on a spooky staircase. He's fingering a Beretta. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, yeah. it's, it's dark in crypto. Um, they just walk down there for forever. Well, they cosplay the quiet, A Quiet Place, the film starring John Krasinski. Yeah. Because they can't Jack make Ryan. any noises because otherwise Greg Hale will hear them like the monsters in that movie and swoop. And then suddenly... That's what happens. Uh, his pager goes off. The sky yeah. pager in his palm. He'd forgotten to engage the silent ring feature. God damn it. Forrest. <laughs> Forrest. Every time. <laughs> I know you're only a little bit older than me, so I don't know if you know. But, like, in whatever, the 90s? What year uh-huh. was this? 94? 90-something. Uh, I'm going to look it up. Hold on. 98? That's not... Okay, 98. Okay. Um, I know that cell phones were newish, but they weren't this stupid. Like, you didn't say cellular phone, and you didn't say silent ring feature. <laughs> Right? She might have. I don't know. Like you, I mean, like in a in a published book, your editor might have made you do some dumb shit like that. Did he have an editor for this book? I think so. Didn't he self-publish Angels and Demons? Why would he have an editor for this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how look, publishing look, works. Look, 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 look. All I'm saying is I'm going to ask my old-ass boyfriend and see okay. if people said silent ring feature. Because I'm sure you would say on silent, like the moment that became available. Anyway. You'd think so. Um... <sighs> But so suddenly out of the darkness, um, uh, Strathmore just like disappears from view because he's been tackled by presumably Greg Hale. 
And so Susan's like, oh, fuck. Uh, now she can't see anything. And uh, is that in this chapter? I think so, right? No, he, he she just gets the he just gets the message. He just gets the beep oh, beep. But in like this she, she she suddenly but she still can't see him for a second. Yeah, she can't see him for a second and then his face is illuminated by his uh, oh, green yeah. pager. Um he read the incoming message. It was more bad news from Spain, but from the other party Strathmore had sent to Seville. Hmm. Yeah, some other NSA people are in Seville. They're under umbra secrecy from a military base in Rota and they said they haven't seen any sign of their man. So yeah. that's it. But you'll note very clearly, it does not say that the other party is this NSA van. They're just juxtaposed there. So you know, uh, think it's the NSA van, but it might not be. Okay. Spoiler, okay. Slight spoiler alert. Chapter 78, uh, Jabba gets a page. Jabba is sweating, honey, under there. Um <laughs> He's doing his job. He gets a glo- he gets a page which causes him to burn himself with solder, um, and then and then he says, "For Christ's sake, Midge, give it up." Yeah, she keeps well. Someone keeps calling his cell phone, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh God damn it! Why don't it fucking stop ringing?" And then over the intercom, finally, is, "Would the chief sysec please contact the main switchboard for a message?" They're all going to die because they don't listen to women. They're all going to fucking die because they won't listen to Midge. Who's Yeah, Jabba ignores the page. Yeah. Good chapter. <laughs> chapter 79. These last few chapters suck. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So chapter 79, Hale ambushes Susan and Strathmore. So now is the time when out of the darkness, Hale suddenly tackles Strathmore. And so Susan's left alone. The Beretta skitters off across the floor. And then uh, Susan is like looking around the darkness and goes, Commander? And that's a big fuck up because uh, Greg Hale, then his odor wells up behind her. I wrote hot And then there. he grabs her. <laughs> he grabs her in a familiar headlock, her face against his chest. And he says, my balls are killing me because she kicked him in them. Gross. And uh, it's no good. That's and so good. chapter 80 begins... This incredibly long and stupid hostage negotiation between Hale and Strathmore. In the other books, like, Robert Langdon is the main protagonist, so sometimes when a woman is a bargaining chip, it's like, oh, well, she's a love interest. But Susan is the main character, and she's still the bargaining chip here between two secondary characters. Zero agency in this chapter. Zero agency. It's but actually, it's incredible how little agency she has in the whole book. Like she comes in, Strathmore asks her to do something, she does it. Hale asks her to do something, she does it. You know, (laughs) like how dare you? She chose out the lingerie set for her vacation (laughs) all by herself. (laughs) We don't know that. We don't know that she did it all by herself. (laughs) That's true. Um, yeah, so Greg, Greg's like, commander, I've got your sweetheart. I want out. He's holding a gun to her head, and he also has her in a headlock, so you can break her neck or shoot her in the face. Um, or no, excuse me, Strathmore has the gun. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's not two guns here. Um, no. Okay. This, this fucking goes on for some time. It's an awful standoff. Um, and so he's like, I saw you kill Phil. And Strathmore's like, you monster, you charlatan. You didn't see anything. I, you killed Chartruchian. And she doesn't believe you. And everyone's like, and, and Hale's like, you've brainwashed. It's a whole thing. You um, brainwashed her. Hale says that 
Transalter is going to overheat unless they abort the run because Chartrukian's body is shorted out the cooling system. Oh, good That's to know. That's going to be key. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, like, you know... It, it's this it's this very sitcommy back and forth where Strathmore is explaining that he knows all of Hale's plans and Hale's like, What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about, but I know all of your plans mm-hmm. and uh it just it's like they're just like saying shit that we already know, but like one or the other of them doesn't know each piece of information and it doesn't make any sense and Hale says that he's been reading Strathmore's brainstorms, and Strathmore's like, I don't print my brainstorms, and Hale's like, no, I hacked it, I'm a hacker. Um, It's so long. And it keeps on going, and eventually it comes down to um, uh, Hale wants to take Susan out of the building on the elevator as a hostage, and then is saying, uh, you know, I won't tell anybody about Transalter, as long as you just let me go. I don't care about your plans for Digital Fortress, whatever. I just don't want you guys to assassinate me with a drone. And I'm taking Susan with me for as long as I can, just to make sure it doesn't happen. And uh, if you come after me, I'll you know, fuck shit up. But like, I, I, I'm keeping quiet. If you keep quiet, it's fine. And then Strathmore's like, I'm going to call security. And I have no, Hale's I'm sorry. Like, I have, yeah. I have no notes here really. Cause it's so dull. Um, the only thing I want to say is he says the lift runs on power from the main building and we're in DC and no one calls it a lift. <laughs> no, that's all I have to say. And she also says the elevator t- takes a password. Susan managed feistily. <laughs> yeah. I have nothing to say here. Oh, sorry, please continue. I just, you know. Yeah, I mean, so so at the at the end of it, uh, Strathmore calls Hale's bluff, and he does call security and says that, you know, Greg Hale killed one of my guys. We need security in here right away. Sorry, sorry, we need sorry, sorry. Power back. Sorry. Sorry. What's did up? you did you get the bullshit? You've got a bigger heart on for her than you do for Digital Fortress. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> okay. What happened was. Um, he's like, if you call security, I'll strangle her. And he's like, oh, it's a risk I'm willing to take. And he's like, bullshit. You've got a bigger heart on for her than you do for Digital Fortress. That's it. Yeah. That's and so then Strathmore calls security and tells him basically like, uh, storm this building and take down Greg Hale. He's a murderer. And uh oh, the bluff has been called. And that's the end of the chapter. We're left on a cliffhanger. Holy God. Um, how Dan Brown was this section? What do you want me to say? Like, it... What? <laughs> um, not... I mean, it's kind of hard to to characterize because, you know, the sexism is, you know, Dan Brown and the stupid jumpy chapters are and the running the table through the glass is very Dan Brown. Um, but... Like I said, like, Angels and Demons is lit. Like, I have a fun time, you know? And this had none of that. I'm going to give it, like, a C. I'm going to say D. Like, you you can see all the things that are becoming Dan Brown, Mm -hmm. but, like, in and of itself, like, it doesn't read like a Dan Brown book. It's like... It's like you uh, heard about his master class and assumed you knew how to do it. And, uh... So yeah. Um what about enjoyability? Enjoyability d- f minus minus minus. 
It sucked. Seconded. F. It sucked. <laughs> uh, sucked do so you have bad. an angel? Uh, yeah, my angel is Megan because she maced David Becker in the face. <laughs> uh, yes, I agree with that. My other angel is the Air Iberia ticket counter oh, lady. The who attractive like, Andalusian woman? Uh-huh. Who was like, oh, no, I'm not going to tell you where the, like, teenager you're trying to groom is you fucking psychopath Um, she could have been a little more proactive in making sure he didn't find her subsequently but you know at least she wasn't willing to actively abet a pedophile yeah uh is it demon time demon time (sighs) mine is david becker he sucks yeah. so much. It has to He's be David just... Becker. Like, they're all awful. Like, anyone who discounted Midge's uh, instincts is awful. But David Becker sucks. He's just, like... He's both evil and incredibly incompetent. And creepy. Yeah. He just... He just sucks. And, like, his his whole shit about, like... Oh, my God. This attractive, conservatively dressed young woman just use profanity in front of me let me adjust my wounds or not she's like a a beautiful decanter filled of disgusting sewage fuck off david becker smells the cork so what's dan brow's problem it's true david becker can't afford wine on his professor's salary are you kidding me he knows about Um, an elegant decanter yeah well that's true (laughs) um i think that wraps it up right yeah. Y'all, I'm sorry that this section sucked, but in our defense, it sucked. Like, it's not a good part yeah. of the book. This book kind of, is just kind of awful. And the best part was David Becker getting maced because he deserves it. Like, just like some reflections. Oh, my God, Dan. Like, I know that I was talking a lot of shit about the Da Vinci Code because it sucks as well. But, like... This is yeah. I, I want to go back. I want to go back. I don't want to read the other uh, deception point. What the fuck is deception point? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to. F- I, I forget when he wrote deception point. Even I'm, I'm I I remain intrigued to go back to it. Although I think it's long, so uh, I might have to cut it into more than twenty chapter chunks. How much more do we have in this book? I just checked. We have got two more episodes. It's like a little more than forty chapters. It's just painful. Yeah, I think I think next time we might do a slightly longer chunk. Let's let's put next time up to chapter like a hundred and four. Okay. All right. I, I I just want to say, you know, if you do take Dan's masterclass, let us know. Oh, did I tell you in <laughs> one of the baking breaks? I got a text from Christopher who was like. What if I bought you a subscription to the masterclass? I was like, oh my god, like 10 minutes ago. Well, do it. I totally not. I was buying one. <laughs> Which is like, I, I, was, I was like, oh wait, this episode hasn't gone out yet. Christopher just intuited it at the same time I was talking I about it. It's incredible. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't unrecommend this book enough to people. Yeah. I've read but, some pretty shitty books like in my life because... I'm a person who reads. This is just a nightmare. It's pretty bad. But our podcast is great. Our podcast so is great. You should follow it on Facebook. 
um, at its page, and you should follow it on Twitter at uh, its handle, and you should follow it on it's, SoundCloud stop, stop, at stop, its stop, URL. Stop. <laughs> you can follow <laughs> it on Twitter at Dan Brown Code Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lena Jamili. That's L I N A J E M I L I. You can follow me at Wishbone Ulysses if you can get past the privacy lock. <laughs> Just request it and say, Forrest, I love your podcast. And I'll say, yeah, sounds, you sound smart. I might do like a little uh, poll to see if people are want us to expand it to once a month or to just kind of like roll with the punches and see when we put out an episode because <laughs> we have been inconsistent because I am yeah. in law school. Um, should I put out that poll or do you want to make that an internal decision? I, mean, I, I yeah, I, I kind of, I, I'm, I'm sort of in favor of uh, it comes out when it comes out because if we commit to monthly, then I'm worried that um, we'll fuck up one of those. <laughs> there um okay we won't put out the poll we'll just <laughs> you get it when you get it sorry yeah um we're, we'll, we'll we'll strive for consistency but no promises yeah is, i think the yeah uh, watchword. apologies in advance but if it makes you feel any better i'm having a worse time than any of you listeners <laughs> right now so <laughs> that sounds fun i'm looking forward to it i'm gonna go put on something cute because we're probably gonna go out in west hollywood after and uh right and uh, take these, take this garlic bread and get it popping. Um, Hell yeah. So follow us on the handles. Please uh, rate and review us on... Uh, get garlic bread, get head. <laughs> Sorry. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Um, a lot of you have, and that's really wonderful. And it helps us reach new people. It also makes us feel good. And, I mean, that's why you really want to do it, right? Is to, like, let us <laughs> know. Why do you think we have this podcast? <laughs> We just want your attention. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and admiration. Um, and also have a wonderful holiday season. You know, Venus is almost out of retrograde, so I hope you haven't taken any of your exes back. Um, the moon is in the seventh house. Jupiter aligns with Mars. Peace will guide the planets, and love will see the stars. It's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>